Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that walking with you is such a delight. It's a privilege. It's a joy. We, I just ask God to instill in us this flavor of life, this joy, this looking forward to, this anticipation and expectation every day of a life walking with you. And as we look into Christian disciplines uh, this week and next, I ask, Father, give us clear understanding of some of these things of prayer and fasting tonight and ask God that you would give us insight and that, Father, that this is something, both prayer and fasting, is something that we would look forward to, that we would see the benefits, we would experience the benefits of prayer, deep prayer, devoted prayer and fasting. And I'm asking you, Lord, that as we do this, as we look into your scriptures, as we are encouraged with uh, what we're what we're going to study tonight, I pray, Father, that you would instill in each of our hearts just that radical edge to pursue you at all costs. And, and I ask God that as we pray and as we fast, we would find this to be a delight. And so would you instruct us, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name. Um, for many of us, we grew up in a very traditional church. When we prayed, like I know when I prayed in our very traditional church, we always prayed the Lord's Prayer. Uh, for some of you, you didn't just pray the Lord's Prayer. You did the Lord's Prayer ten times and then ten Hail Marys and went back and did ten Lord's Prayers and ten Hail Marys. And here's my question for you and those of you who experienced this, because I didn't. Um, I just, you know, we just recited the Lord's Prayer every Sunday in the Apostles' Creed. But for those of you who did it repetitively, what was your goal? What was your motivation for that? Any, anyone with regard to that? <laughs> Yes, done as fast as I could and get out of there. <laughs> okay, what was your okay? That your motivation was to be done, but why did you do it? Why did I say the prayers? Because I figured yes. I'd get in trouble if I didn't. Okay, get in trouble. Get in trouble with my parents and the priest and God. Ah, a triple whammy. Yes. Oh my. Okay. Stephen, now you grew up in that uh, particular uh, <laughs> in the Roman Catholic Church. So tell me, what was? What was going on in your head, and, and why would you do that? Or did you were you kind of like that radical black sheep that said, I ain't doing it? No, no. I, honestly, I had three reasons. Three One reasons for not doing told, it or for doing for it? Doing for doing it. it. For doing it, okay. Uh, the priest told me to do it, and uh, my father said, you got a choice, forehand or backhand. <laughs> okay. All righty. And, and those are the two reasons, right? No, three reasons. Forehand and backhand are two oh, separate okay. reasons. <laughs> Okay, all right. We'll, we'll accept that as two reasons. Anybody else that, that uh, was involved in, in that? Um, there, there truly is a, a sense of superstition, this sense that if I do it, then God is going to really hear my prayer. It's as if I'm doing this really good deed. I don't like it. So by doing it, God is going to hear me and God is going to bless me. And so we are doing it to really earn God's favor. It, it, would, you, would you see any exceptions to that? We don't find in the Bible any instruction concerning this to do it multiple times. We don't, as a matter of fact, we see teachings opposed to that in, in the Sermon on the Mount that we shouldn't babble on and on like the pagans. Now, he's talking to Jews. He's not talking to pagans. 
So Jews could do the very same thing that we see our Catholic brothers and sisters doing or in the Episcopal Church. They can do something similar to this. But uh, I, I really haven't seen it too much in my exposure to the Episcopal Church. But we too can do this. We can do this. Our prayers can become a prayer list that we are going through. And in our mind, I mean, if I just touch on these things again and touch on these things again, maybe God will hear me. And the, this, this absolutely essential element of relationship begins to fade out as this uh, almost legalism takes the helm and begins to direct us. When I first came on Heart to Christ, um, I, I don't have to admit, I, I was just, I was very happy that I was disciplined in prayer. I, I was. Um, I realized that I could not have my devotions at night because I wake up about 2 o'clock in the morning and I would find my Bible open and apparently I had been praying and had fallen asleep. And so I would fall asleep all the time. So I decided uh, probably it's going to be best to have my devotions in the mornings. So you know, I tried doing them both, morning and evening, sometimes just morning, sometimes just evening. But what I found was... As, we, as I would pray, I would find myself going through the same prayer, same prayer for the same person over and over because they were on my prayer list. Now, I am all in favor of prayer lists. It's just that we have to be careful because if, if we're not careful, we can fall into the same vain babbling that, that, that Catholics do, that pagans do, and it is an issue of the heart. And so... What I realized to be able to break out of that rut or that routine in which the prayer life was dreary, it would get dull, it would like be taking uh, medicine. Uh, did anybody actually enjoy taking medicine as a kid? Maybe as a kid I just took a lot. I haven't taken much as an adult. But as a kid, man, I did. And, and they called it cherry flavored medicine. It was anything but cherry flavored. It looked cherry, it stained like cherry. So my mom said. Someone smoked uh, with you before. Yeah, it just didn't. Now, they've done better. I'm so grateful for that. But they've done better so that my kids actually didn't vomit it out. And for the most part, they swallowed it. But it, it, it can be like taking medicine if we're not careful. And so what I want us to do is I want to look at this concept of prayer and just a number of facets about it and then look at fasting. And I'm really kidding myself. To think that I'm going to be done. Did, did you like, by the way, do you like our new clock up here? Um, that I'm going to be done in an hour. But what I'm going to do is, there, there's so much on prayer that we could cover. There's so much on fasting that we could cover. And so I, I'm going to be cherry-picking some things that I believe God is wanting me to highlight. And so it, it's, let's go ahead and turn to Luke 18. Even though I started off with almost as, it's as if going through a prayer list is like praying the same prayer over and over and over every day. Um, I am all in favor of petitioning God every day for a variety of things. And if it's the same thing, then it's the same thing. What I am cautioning us is the mentality, the heart, the the... 
how can I say the yeah the mentality that we can slip into that somehow if I just do this then God is going to bless me and he will answer my prayer. I mean, if I pray this prayer a hundred times, then God will answer me. Have you ever thought that way before? That maybe if I just pray this prayer, maybe ten more times, God will hear my prayer. And, and it's not about how many times. It is about this, it is about this heart that presses into God regularly with this almost sense of insistence. And so we're going to see that develop as we go through this. But Luke 18, starting with verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So what is this uh, parable about that we're going to read? Say it again. Praying at all times and not giving up. Okay. So persevering prayer. Let's read the parable. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Can I look at that last verse. When he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why does, does that seem like something from left field? Where's he coming from on that? When he comes, to, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth? Is that what this parable is about? Or why, why is he throwing this in? Or is it kind of like, now that I've said that, just one little, one little challenge here, you know, make sure you have faith. Why does he introduce this idea of faith? Kate? All right. How is perseverance an expression of faith? Thoughts, Kate? Well, you can try something once, even if you don't really believe that it's going to work or it's going to happen or that it's real. You can try it. Okay. But you're not going to keep doing it over and over and over again. So... When I spank my son, even though it's over and over and over again, it's faith that helps me persevere because I believe God's word that this is going to work, even when I don't see it. (laughs) So after two or three times, I'm not like, okay, whatever. But I'm like, okay, I believe that this is important. I'm going to keep doing this. So if you don't have faith, you really can't persevere. All right. Good. Good. And your faith in persevere, your your faith has caused you to persevere, and I think we can see that fruit in little Rusty. Uh, he's very obedient. Now, just like any little boy or girl, he's going to have his moments, and <laughs> yeah, sometimes those moments are more frequent than mom and dad would like. That's the reality, but it, it's paying off. Okay, any other thoughts on that? So, 
Tell me what keeps us from persevering. Leanne? Well, um, when I, sometimes I get frustrated because I feel my prayers aren't answered right away. Um, but I keep going because my, my belief is that God will answer because the answer will either be yes or no or not right now. Okay. So I have to have patience. It teaches me patience. Um, and that, that helps strengthen my faith because when I finally do get an answer, it's like I, I knew it would come, but I just kind of got in the doldrums there. Okay. So why doesn't God answer prayer right away? Stephen? Uh, well, so this past year, like, what I went through with my health, prayed a lot that God would heal me, and it didn't happen, like, in what I thought should be my time frame, but, like, God did use it, and so to answer your question, it stretches us, and <clears throat> it makes us, like, rely more on God. Okay. Oh, well, it depends on who you are, I guess, because it can do the opposite. Like, I've seen it do the opposite to people, but if you're, like, setting yourself right before God, then like, he's going to draw you near to him. Okay. And so, prayer over and over, come on, I might, prayer over and over should develop something within us. Just like trials. Trials should develop something in us that's positive, but it's, it's obvious that trials can also bring discouragement, can also make us feel rejected by God. It can give us this mindset that God is not for me, that he loves others more than me, and these are lies of the enemy that can get in there. It happens to Christians all the time, every day. But Jesus challenges us here to persevere. James chapter 1 Kate was referring to perseverance there. We consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because of what it's doing in us. Now, we don't like it. Again, it's like taking the medicine sometimes. But the truth is, God is going to develop something awesome if we allow him to. And so many testimonies um, of people, there's so many testimonies of people that God has done so many awesome things. The Israelites, for example however many hundreds of years, pressing in, God, please release us, give us freedom from this oppression. We don't know exactly how long they were in that, uh, that slavery. It wasn't from day one, but eventually they, they were enslaved. It was extremely difficult, and so they prayed. And it says in Exodus 3, God says to Moses, I have heard, their prayers have reached uh, where he is in heaven, and I am hearing them. And it's kind of like Moses, you kind of get this feeling that the people, when Moses tells them, like, finally, okay, you know, it's about time. Uh, but there was so much difficulty, but they persevered. And again, we have to be careful. It's not like, okay, if I pray a hundred times, then finally God's going to hear me. Because every time we come to God in prayer, it's not like we're just chipping away a little bit at this, um, chipping away, that might not be, maybe adding a, another little building block, maybe God will hear me this time and answer, maybe, but instead we have faith that when we come before him and we pray, he will hear us 
and that he is going to answer. And he is always looking at the heart. He is always looking at the heart. Do we pray for God? Or do we pray for us? More about your conversation. Okay. But it's also strengthening your relationship with God. Okay. God does look at prayer differently than we do. It's not as if God needs prayer, but we absolutely do need prayer. Okay? God longs for his people to come before him with boldness and, and you, you know, before I even say this, I want us to go to Luke 11 because I'm jumping ahead here. When I, I'm just about to jump ahead and I don't want to do that. I want to, this whole, this first half of the chapter, I'm not going to read all of it. The first half of this chapter is about prayer. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And the first thing that he does is he teaches them what we have commonly called the Lord's Prayer. And there is nothing here that says just repeat this ten times and you got it good. <laughs> it is a model for us, not a mantra for us. Okay, it's a model, not a mantra, and it, it tries to express the posture of our heart as we come before God, who He is, who we are, our needs before Him. But what I want to focus on is this parable that He's He speaks of starting with verse 5 and he says suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says friend lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him I'm pausing right now and I'm scratching my head wondering dude when did this friend come to you did he like just now come to you and it's midnight and so you're going to trouble another friend at midnight because you don't have anything to feed him? I don't know about you. I would tell my friend who came at midnight, you're just going to have to settle down for the night and maybe in the morning we'll think about some sustenance. That's, that's, that may be what I would say. But this person here is a little bit more gracious and hospitable, I guess, than I am. And he goes to his friend, it's midnight, and it says, then the one inside answers don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. That is how they did it in the East there. Um, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he, now this is what the man says. Can he get up and get him something? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yes, he can. What is the problem though? He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. Because he'll wake up his kids. He might wake up the baby and we all know how hard it is to get little little junior asleep, little junior Joe, Joseph, whatever. And so, yeah, I'm not getting up. So in verse 8, it continues, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, that word boldness is a word that not only means boldness, but it means persistence. Okay, so the King James uses this word importunity and importunity basically covers both of those bases in for our English words, boldness 
and perseverance. But this is what we, it's not just boldness, it is also perseverance. So now Luke 18 was seven chapters later and he touches on prayer again. So he's laying the foundation here with regard to persistence or bold and boldness. But the man's heart changes. Now, can I say, I don't think Jesus is saying that prayer is not about relationship. Because it says here, he doesn't get up because he's his friend. He gets up because the man refuses to go. And, and I'm saying that because in prayer, Stephen, you're right, in prayer we are building this relationship. Prayer, uh, I don't want to say it's conversational all the time because it's not. Um, there is spiritual warfare type of prayer. There is declaring the promises and standing in the gap for people. Um, and it is aggressive and it is spiritual warfare. It is imploring heaven with a, a sense of militancy. And we, we're, we're seeing a, a dose of that here. So friendship, my friendship with God is absolutely important but what moves this man in this situation, in this situation, is his insistence. I, I'm sorry, I'm not leaving. I'll camp out here. I'll build a fire. Shoot fireworks up there. Make sure one throat goes through your window. You know, something along, I'm not leaving. And, and he, he is there, and the guy knows he's going to keep knocking until he does what he's needing. So eventually, the knocking's going to wake up everybody. Now, and, and let, let's just give credit to the guy knocking on the door. It doesn't say that when all was said and done, the guy never spoke to him again. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe, maybe he was tempted, but you know that's outside the parable. The idea, though, is this bold insistence. And when we do this, God does come through. Um. To my shame, I remember praying for my older brother, Rob, and I probably prayed for him for 15 years. And over the last, and I'm trying to put my schedule, my, my time frame here, okay, maybe one, yeah, so I had prayed for him about 15 years, but the last, like, two or so years, it was not on a regular basis. In fact, I probably had not prayed for him for a couple of months. And I I had gotten weary. But that summer, 15 years, I'd been praying for him. That summer, my brother Rob gave his heart to Christ. Uh, he hit rock bottom. His wife was going to divorce him. He was being hunted down by the pagan, the, the president of the pagans in Philadelphia. Um, my brother Rob was a bouncer at a bar and got into fights regularly. And um, they didn't need a door at the bar. He was the door, okay. Mm. And if he, if you were, if you were going to be uh, uh, starting a fight, he made sure that you went out that door. But yeah, he got into a lot of fights, and it was only by God's grace that he never uh, seriously lost any of those fights. But his life was being threatened. His wife was leaving him. And this was now, I believe, his second or third divorce. I'm, I'm trying to remember. 
and he realized that there's something wrong in Rob, and it needed to change. And so my uh, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, so his brother-in-law as well, just verbally gave him a shot between the eyes and said, Rob, you are throwing your life away. And long story short, uh, God began to work in my brother Rob, and within a few short weeks, my brother Rob totally surrendered his heart to Christ. Gave me a call, and he said, Mike, you're not going to believe this, but guess what happened to me? And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, you did a drug, drug, drug overdose, you got into a fight. Yeah, go figure. And he said, Mike, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Now, I know right now you're thinking, yeah, right, Rob, you've done that before. And that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> and when I told uh, my wife Meredith, she said, are you sure? <laughs> and so he said, Mike, I would love to be able to come down and just spend some time with you. And so about a month later, so he'd known the Lord for like two or three months at that time. A month later, uh, he came down and he was a totally changed person. God was using him to lead people uh, to Christ left and right. Um, there was a, uh, a, a, not a jail, um, I guess like a halfway house for delinquent teens and locked up for a variety of reasons and he was leading Bible studies in there and some of the guys were getting saved and his life was totally surrendered to Christ. Um, and, and I say that because even though I had gotten weary and I had not been praying as I should, I'm sure my mom was, I'm sure others were, but it really challenged me. Wow, Mike, you gave up or you just got weary. I, I don't know if I gave up. It just, it just didn't come to my mind as it, as it would regularly. And God stepped in and he changed my brother's life. So when we're talking about bold persistence, we're talking about a... Let me ask you this. Can someone give me an example from their life about a bold, persistent prayer that God answered? Anything come to your mind? Stephen? Praying for my family. In some way, like okay. surrender their life to the Lord and send my uncle two years ago. Right now, yeah. Got saved. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's really awesome. cool because we're able to talk like almost every day about the Lord and like, what God's doing. And so it's really encouraging to have a family member to be able to connect with on that level. Yeah. Awesome. Anybody else? Bold, persistent prayer. Some of those kids are getting excited. Yes, Colton. I prayed for a couple that was going through divorce, very, very, uh, a lot of boldness and a lot of boldness and uh, talking to them too. And uh, I, I don't know. I was very fearful about the whole thing. Uh, like, uh, so bold to them, uh, but uh, in the end, you know, in, in the end, it, it didn't last. You know, but it, it did. They did get back together for a while, but yes. they ended up breaking. Yeah. 
I've been praying for my neighbors across the street. The man's health okay. is failing. He's 89. Hmm. And um, he, his heart output was one quarter normal and it looked dismal. Wow. And I've been praying and praying and he seems to be getting stronger and stronger every day and the doctors are amazed at how well Wonderful. he's doing. Wonderful. I remember praying for two of my children, <clears throat> uh, Jenny Rose and Sarah Joy, at <clears throat> certain points in their life, certain ages, they there was this sense of straying, this uh, wandering from the Lord. I could tell, I could see it, um, a disconnect from the Lord. I knew that there was stuff going on in their life. Actually, both of them this past Friday night shared their testimony at teen group. We had a number of people share testimonies in the team for, with the of the team, team leaders sharing their testimonies. And for, for both of them, uh, my wife and I prayed, and we were bold, we were uh, aggressive in that, and for Jenny Rose, we saw it when she was turning eight, that with Kate and Juliana, there was this sense of compliance and obedience, and the heart attitude of obedience was missing in Jenny Rose. And we could see that for four years, um, there was just this self-will that we knew that if it didn't change, as she moved into her teenage years, she would, she, she, it would turn into rebellion. And when she was turning 12, I saw things beginning to escalate. And we prayed, and we're going to look at fasting in a moment, and we fasted. And we were not going to give up. And we, we did deliverance over her. Um, we prayed. Um, and I, I don't know how else to say it, but we were adamant as we cried out to God, full of faith that God was going to, to change both of their hearts. And God did that. And God used a variety of circumstances in their lives to do this. But... We need to, when we engage in prayer, this is not something that we just, you know, fold our hands and say nice prayers, okay? This is not always, now sometimes I, I have casual conversations with the Lord and I enjoy those, but that's not all the time because there are certain prayers that I know I need to be bold before the throne of God and insistent, not in your face, this is what you've got to do, and uh, type, type, you know, I'm not doing that, but I am go, coming up boldly, and if you could imagine a king sitting on his throne and guards at the doors keeping anyone from coming in without, you know, first petitioning the king, and then this, this is what would happen in olden days. That's why it was so amazing that Esther's life was not taken. She just walked right into the hall. It is as if we just walk right into the hall, right past the guards, the cherubim, and we stand before God and we say, God, you have got to hear me. This is, this is urgent, and I need you to step into this situation. You're an awesome God, and you're powerful enough to change this situation and to change my child's heart. And I'm asking you, God, that you will not allow her to go down that pathway of rebellion and that you would rescue her and you would snatch her from the flames. And my wife and I would pray like this. And we just need to realize that for many, that 
many prayers need to be tackled in this way. This bold persistence. I will not leave until I sense in my heart that you have heard my prayer and that you are going to answer it. And, and it may need an answer right away. Um, and you know, I've heard of people, uh, I'm trying to remember this gentleman's name, but his testimony, when this was actually a couple hundred years ago in Scotland, and he was praying for a man that, he was, that was dear to him, and it was a man who was well-known in the community, and the man had died. And this, this pastor went in, and he was there, I guess it was two full days, and he constantly petitioned God to heal him and raise him from the dead. Two days. And after two days, that man was raised from the dead. And, or, or maybe he was on his deathbed and God totally healed him. And I'm, I'm trying to remember. Uh, there are other, other people uh, who have reported praying and praying and interceding. Someone had died and God raised them from the dead. Um, this particular gentleman, I don't think that he had died, but he was, uh, he was on his deathbed and he was going to die. And this man was basically saying, no, that's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. God, please intervene. And he came to God with such boldness and such persistence. Many, many uh, denominations reject this type of praying, that somehow we're being rude, somehow, somehow we are uh, going to twist God's arm. But how else can we read this parable? Such boldness, 12 o'clock at night. Are you serious? And you're not going to leave? You're, you, I'm in bed. I understand you're in bed, but I need you. Maybe you don't understand. No, I'm not getting... No, you don't... I need you to get up. Now understand that this man who's in bed does not reflect the Father's heart, okay? He is trying to give us a situation in which the heart of someone is insistently saying no, but because of bold persistence, the heart changes. And this is the type of bold persistence that we need to have. Not that we are changing God's heart, but that we are turning God's heart, if I can word it that way. And then I'm not going to pull a scripture verse out of the, the, out of the Bible that says, and he turned God's heart. But it does say in, in Exodus 32 that as Moses interceded on behalf of the people when they had, offered, when they had uh, made a golden calf, God repented. So that basically is God turned his heart well enough. And Moses turned the heart of God as he as as God said, I'm just gonna start, I'm just gonna wipe him out, or I'm gonna start over with you. And Moses refused. Moses insistently came before God. God, you can't do this, and here's the reasons why you you cannot allow them. You you deliver them from Egypt. What will the people say? You're their God. You have cut a covenant with them, and I am asking you, Lord, please forgive theirs. And he he stepped in as a mediator, as one who stood in the gap, and God answered his prayer, and Moses turned the heart of God. I want you to turn now with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is an awesome psalm. There are four uh, circumstances that are given. All of them are characterized by this concept of crying out. But let me read the first few verses because this gives us the backdrop 
to these four situations. And I'm not going to go through the four situations. But let me just read the first three verses. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Can I just tell you this? Verse 1. Just from verse 1. When you go to God in prayer, that needs to be what beats in your heart. That, that realization, God is good right now in this horrendous situation that I am going through. I truly believe, I know that God is good. And if we, if we don't have that mindset that God is good, our faith is going to be all but completely riddled with holes. And the enemy is going to speak lies to us. And we're going to open up to those lies. We must be convinced, regardless of the situation and how it looks like and all that's going on and how bad it is, God is good, seated on his throne. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those who redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south, this is what we will say, his love endures forever. He is good, his love endures forever. That's, that's, true. that's what should be on the lips of the redeemed. Why? Because they reflect upon all, <clears throat> all of the good things that God has done for them. I'm actually going to be preaching on that and the use of memorials that they did at Gilgal when they crossed the, the Jordan River. But we need to constantly be reminded of the good things that God has done in our life. Because when we're going through hard times, it is so easy for us to think of just the bad stuff that's happened in our life. Has that ever happened to you? As you're going through this trial, it's like, God, here we go again. And, and God is, tr is thinking, what do you mean here we go again? Have you forgotten? And, and, all, and he could recount all of these things in which he has stepped in, all of these things that he has done to show the father heart that he has for us. And yet what does the devil do? He, gets, he, he gives us blinders and all we can see is this problem and the, the half dozen other problems when there are hundreds of circumstances that God could say, hang on just a second there, because what you're sharing is a false accusation. Let me share with you all of these awesome things that I've done for you. Therefore, in Psalm 145, it says, celebrate his abundant goodness. And that's what we're called to do. Every Sunday morning, we sing about it. Uh, I'm going to encourage you, testify about it. Share the good things that God has done for you. How God has answered your prayer. Um, talk about and boast about the goodness of God. This is what needs to constantly be on our mind. So as, as we get into this prayer, and it's the first prayer that we're going to look at, we need to realize that the, the redeemed have been set free from the enemy, Satan himself. We have been set free from our slavery in Egypt, if you will. We have been brought into the promised land. And this is something that we rejoice. And so with that mindset then, we now go into verse 4 and he says, Some wandered into desert wastelands. I'm going to pause right there and just ask if there is anyone, you don't have to show me your hand, anyone here who feels that's exactly where they are at in this desert wasteland. Wandering. Wandering as if not sure where God is taking them in this. Finding no way to a city where they could settle. When you settle in a city, there's typically water, there's food, all of this. But when you're wandering, what, what do you do? Plant, 
plant your garden and wait several months for it to, to start harvest? No, you're wandering. You have to find food on the way. And so they know they needed to settle down, but there was nowhere to settle down. And there have been times in Israel's history, exactly which one this would be referring to, but times in Israel's history in which this has been the case. Maybe during the time of the judges. I know tribe of Dan, it it was not a noble purpose that they did this, but they left their tribe, traveled all the way north to find a city that that eventually was named Dan. But that was not the heart of God that they did. They found their inheritance outside of the prescribed inheritance they were given. You'll find that at the end of Judges. But in the beginning of Judges, uh, if you were reading Jabez's prayer, uh, Jabez lived during the early time of the Judges, and he need, his prayer was, God, ex- expand my territory. You know, there's, there's, um, there are people who have encroached on his land, and it was his land by inheritance, and they were living there, and he needed to get them off his land. Um, that's what all the Israelites had to do once they inherited their property, their, uh, their land, they each tribe. They had to remove the squatters. Um, now, he says, They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way. Isn't that nice? A straight way. To a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Isn't that what we just talked about? His love that endures forever. And his wonderful deeds for men. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Why did God do this? Because they cried out to God. Every single one of these It doesn't say that they folded their hands and bowed their heads and said a nice little prayer. I'm all about conversational prayer. But when you're in a situation like this, you don't just have a nice little conversational prayer. You you need to have bold, persistent prayer. A, a, A warrior's type of prayer, a warrior's mindset. You are engaged in battle. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the principalities, the rulers, against the, present, against the forces of darkness in this, in this dark world and in the uh, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our, our battle is a spiritual battle. And God is engaging the enemy as we pray. So this is a spiritual battle. We don't command God, but we do realize that the, there is a spiritual battle taking place all around us. And so, for a variety of reasons, we engage in this type of prayer in which he says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And there are going to be times, friends, in which you are going to need to desperately cry out. And it it may not just be one or two times, but it is going to be persistent. Not, well, if I just do it a hundred times, man, I'm good to go. Um, that that's we never pray like we're in remote control or at least we shouldn't like we're in remote control all right okay um <clears throat> colossians 4 2 talks about being devoted to prayer <clears throat> acts two forty two, the early church after 3000 had given their hearts to christ it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And for them, and and I was just thinking about this recently, to the prayers. Uh, For the Jews at that time, they had prayers. 
at, uh, was it 9, 3, and 6? I'm trying to remember the different times in which they would pray. And they would go to the, the temple many times, or that they would at least, if they were in another town, they would kneel down and look towards the temple, Jerusalem, and they would pray. Daniel, we see this doing it in Daniel 6, and he prayed three times a day. And he refused to give that practice up, even though it was outlawed. But he prayed, and it's, they devoted themselves not to you know, the, the prayer book or to the Lord's Prayer and the Hail Marys, etc., etc. No, they devoted themselves to those times of prayer. Those times of prayer. I don't know how long they lasted, maybe an hour. And here, here's, here's what kind of, and the Lord just freshly challenged me with this, because God is wanting me, and, and, and I do tend to pray throughout the day, but they're like short little prayers. After, you know, I have my time in the morning, but short little prayers. And God just said, Mike, I just want you to take like half an hour right now and pray. And I was right in the middle of my day. You know, when, I'm, when I get my focus going, you know, I, I'm, I'm at my desk, I'm doing some administrative stuff, and, and I just felt like God just wanted me to settle down, set aside what I was doing, and interrupt my day with prayer. And I I honestly found that very hard. I mean, I I can pray for a couple of minutes, five minutes, and then move on to the next thing and some little short times of prayer throughout my day, and I enjoy doing that, but this was different. And it was like, Mike, can can you just stop in your busyness and seek me right now? Can you do that? And I, I was just reminded of this passage and the the disciples, the early church, as they would do that, they would stop what they were doing, they would go to the the temple, and they would pray because the church was basically located in Jerusalem at the early in the early few years, and so I, I, I think sometimes maybe God just wants to challenge us. Now, don't tell your boss that you're taking work off for the next hour because God just spoke to you and said you have to pray. And he's thinking, dude, you already took your hour lunch break at noon. You're not doing it at three. Sorry. Okay, be a little bit more sensitive to that. But how about if um, instead of a lunch, or maybe you take a late lunch break or maybe uh, on a weekend when you're busy working out in the yard and you've got the next thing to tackle, be sensitive to the Spirit if you were to say, I want you to take minutes or half an hour right now and I just want you to pray because I don't know about you man that just really challenges me because I get in the groove and I just I want to get it all done and God's just saying can you can you just wait on me right now I found that hard but this is the type of mentality that we are people that are devoted to prayer and we don't see prayer or the call to prayer should the spirit lay that on our heart as an interruption in our day, but an invitation in our day. Um, just one last word on prayer before we move on to fasting. Matthew, this is not in your notes, by the way, Matthew 26, 40 to 41. Matthew 26, 40 to 41. Um, and I'm not going to necessarily read it. You're, you're probably well familiar with the passage. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, oh, God, if it's, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And when he comes back to the disciples, he had challenged them to watch and pray, by the way. Comes back to the disciples, and what are they doing? Playing frisbee? Uh, they're sleeping, yes. Uh, they're not bent over in travailing prayer as Jesus was, 
Because Jesus knew the intensity of what was about to happen in the next 24 hours. And it was tearing him up in his humanness. And so he comes to the disciples and he says, could you not watch and pray for one hour? And then he says this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, I want to be careful there. Jesus never, ever in the Gospels uses this word flesh, which in the Greek is sarx. It's the same Greek term that Paul uses for the sinful nature. But Jesus never uses it that way in the Gospels, ever. So if he is referring to the flesh as in the sinful nature in this passage, it's the only time in which he does that. And I'm kind of leaning towards the idea that probably he is not. So the NIV translates that the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, having said that, let me now say this. When you are tired, or when you are busy, like I was just talking about, there is something, physically, if we're tired, we just want to rest. And so many times, even though there is a sense of urgency to pray, we will not. And, and, and here's the caveat, that even though Jesus does not use the word sarks or flesh, like Paul does to mean sinful nature, Paul uses it that way at times because it is, it is my selfishness that gives into my bodily or uh, physical wants and desires. And so those are so connected, he sees the physical body and the sinful nature using the same term flesh for that reason. And because of that, even though I think Jesus is referring to the tiredness, the body that was weak, I'm saying this, that there are going to be times in which in the middle of the night, you are going to be waked up, you are so tired, you want to go back to sleep, and yet you feel the Spirit's urging to pray. Now many times people are waked up around 3 or 4 in the morning, and it... And, and I, I'm just going to toss this out for whatever it's worth, but do realize, and, and this is a well-attested to fact, that cults, are, or, or the occult, witchcraft, witches, and warlocks pray during that. That's one of their prayer vigil times, if you will. Um, and so it, it is very possible that God may be waking you up in response to this, uh, for protection for your home, for a friend, whatever it might be. And I'm just tossing that out there to you. But there's going to be something that's going to happen inside of you that's going to make you, or not make you, but you will not want to get, up, to get up. Part of it is just that tiredness. But there's something in us that I will call the flesh. It is our sinful nature that wants to cater to that. Even though the Lord is calling us bold, persistent prayer at that time. And some of you had the privilege when we did the 24-7 prayer, your time slot was, what, like maybe 4.30 in the morning, you usually don't get up till 6 or 7, and that was a struggle, or 1 o'clock in the morning, and boy, I tell you, mine was at 11, and it, it was hard because I couldn't fall asleep beforehand, 
And so I was getting to bed at 11.30 every night and getting up at 6, and that, that, that wore on me. But that wasn't like those having to wake up between 1 and 5 in the morning. Um, so awesome, those of you who did that. But I'm sure that you wrestled with, because even at 11, I, I did fall asleep one time uh, before 11. And, and then I, my alarm did go off at 11 to wake me up to pray. But I didn't want to, when that happened, I, I didn't want to. But I know, oh, I've got to get up. I know I do. I mean, come on, I'm the pastor, and I'm going to tell people that I couldn't get up because I was too lazy. I can't do that. So I, that, that was, an, uh, that was a, a cop-out excuse. Yeah, because you're the pastor. Um, how about because you love me and you're, you're really into this and you want to do what is on my heart and seek me? And Yeah, those are really good reasons too, Lord. But that was the one, but I'm a pastor, you know. What a bad, bad reason to get up and pray. But, you know, I, I struggle with, with my body's tiredness and my selfish desire to lay in bed. And, I, and I'm just going to end it with this. Church, we are going to battle this thing called prayer because many times... We want to, if we do pray, it's the casual, kicked-back kind of prayer that you can, you can do in a recliner. <laughs> I say that laughing because uh, I do pray in a recliner um, in the mornings. Uh, but many times I will also I'll pray in the morning before my Bible reading time, and many times I'll pray afterwards, and that's when I will walk around the house and such. It's a little bit quieter, and my, those who work are, have already left, and they've gone off to, to work, and... So I've kind of got free reign downstairs to walk around and practice. But I, I tell you what, um, we're going to battle with the body, the flesh, and we are, it, it, we're going to want to just take it casual either because we're tired or whatever lame excuse that we can give. We're not going to want to pray as much. We're wanting to just, oh, you know, just, just, just pray five minutes, okay? And the truth is God wants us to pray for extended periods of time. Okay? He is calling his church to this deep place, this secret place, as we sing that song, in prayer. And, and I want you to think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't a five-minute prayer. I mean, he was in the presence of God. And when he came out, he asked them, could you not watch and pray for one hour? So that was just one of the three times that he went to pray. It took him an hour. But he did it three times that night. I don't know if he prayed each time an hour or not, but for that one time, it was an hour, and his disciples had fallen asleep. So I'm just going to throw that out to you and really let that be a challenge to us. We, we are living in a time in which there is so much that hinges on what Jesus' church is going to do. We can't just say, well, the next generation will do better, or my children will do better, or, you know what, the, the other people in the church can pray, or the other people can be radical about Jesus. No, all of us are, right? All of us were called jointly. The church devoted themselves, all of them devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the uh, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers, to that time 
of prayer. They all were doing this. So I'm going to just challenge you, church, let's, let's be devoted to this, okay? So fasting. Um, I remember several years ago, I think this may have been the first time that I had fasted for three days. Um, most of the time up to that point, it was a day here or a day there. Um, and the church that we were a part of at the time in Virginia Beach challenged us to participate in a three-day fast. That sounds really spiritual. Man. And I, I worked lawn maintenance to work my way through seminary. And so I was exhausted at the end of my day. But I fasted those three days. And nothing. I would sit on my tractor for at least uh, one account, it it would be eight hours. And I just had awesome times of prayer and Spirit of God speaking to me uh, very prophetically at times and just encouraging me and envisioning me for our teen ministry, for my family, etc., etc. And I I love those times. And that fell on on that three-day stretch. And my prayer was, God, I had lost several accounts in the very beginning of the year, and I needed God to to come through. And um, nothing happened those three days. And I just thought, wow, God, I mean, I really sacrificed here, and I don't see anything. I don't see anything as a result. I mean, it, what is prayer and fasting anyway? Because this isn't making sense to me. Gun fasting. Day four. The very next day, the Lord, I can't remember how many accounts it was, but a major, at least one major account came through. And God totally, totally answered our prayers. Um... And I've had experiences with fasting and praying like that. I know a number of you have as well. Many times, God does not answer during that time of prayer and fasting. But he will afterwards. I don't know why he does that. Maybe it's because maybe if he answered halfway through, we'd give up and stop fasting. I don't know. But why do we fast? And, And I want to start off in this passage, in Matthew nine fourteen, if you'll turn there, Matthew nine fourteen, Jesus has just called Levi to be a disciple. He's left everything to follow Jesus. He's having a party. Jesus comes to this party, and. It's in that context of, of uh, there in which Jesus is now asked by, the, uh, by John's disciples, and they ask him in verse 14, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Oh, what's up with that, Jesus? I mean, you're a religious man, aren't you? I mean, th- this is John's disciples, okay? It's not like... The Pharisees are approaching with this is John's disciples. This is what Jesus says. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn? 
while he is with them. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Many times they would put sackcloth on their bodies, ashes on their head as signs of mourning. And and, and I'm only saying this not because every time we fast, we are in mourning. Okay, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Um, but the posture of our heart is one of desperation like one who is in mourning and is that Rusty? I think that's Jonah oh okay alright wow not recognizing the, the baby's voices goodness and so, here is my question. So, we do know that even though the Jesus' disciples did not fast while he was on earth, they did fast once he left earth. Isaiah 58 talks about the true fast. The true fast is not one that is just outward, but it is a fast from evil deeds, and it is an embracing of good deeds. Okay, that is the true fast. But that does not mean that we should not fast. Many people believe that fasting is not New Testament. And, and I'm not sure how they get around this in many other passages in the New Testament. <clears throat> but fasting was challenged uh, by Jesus. Fasting was something that Jesus challenged his disciples to do when he would be gone. And they did this. And there are examples of them doing it. So, Fasting is not something that is Old Testament. It is also very much New Testament. Mm-hmm. So here's my question. Why do we fast? Kate. Um, I, before I say my thoughts, um, I highly recommend a book by John Piper called Hunger for God, which is where most of probably everything that I could say comes from. And he just has so much good stuff to say in it and it's worth reading just for the appendix which covers all these quotes about fasting from church fathers through Puritans you have Jonathan Edwards like every great preacher like the things they said about fasting um, really great just really really great and the first question he looks at is is it Christian to fast and he looks at that parable and one thing he says that I think is really powerful is um, he points out that, you know, before the bridegroom comes, there's just, there's mourning. Before Jesus came, all the Jews had was was their sense of, of sin. They were waiting for Messiah to come and rescue them. And so there's, fasting was a sign of sorrow, and they would fast and wear sackcloth and ashes. Like, it was a deeply sorrowful thing. And he says, now the bridegroom has come, but he's gone again and he's going to return. Mm-hmm. And so as believers, our fasting is both joy and sorrow because we have been redeemed from sin. Right. But we're also longing for the full redemption that's to come. We're longing for the intimacy with Jesus that one day awaits us. And, and he just talks a lot about how one of the, the biggest purposes of fasting is it forces us to stop um, 
the other things that even legitimately, like food does, fill and meet our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual needs. And as we are so emptied, we increase in our hunger and longing for God. And um, he says so many other things. I mean, that's just one of the things he talks about. But that really stirs my heart that I want to hunger for God more because everything great that God has ever done has started with people who really wanted him because he loves to show up when he is desired. And there is something about fasting that draws our hearts to really desire him above everything else. And um, and fasting also brings us to a place of intense dependence, um, especially extended fast or fast of something that's really hard for you. And the most powerful fast I ever experienced was so difficult that every single day, like, I thought I was going to lose it. And I wept, and I could not go on. Just emotionally, the attack of the fast was so difficult. I didn't feel any spiritual highs during that fast. It was so brutal. But I never clung to the Lord that tightly before. And at the end of the fast, there was breakthrough in my life because I realized if God could carry me through such total dependence, he can carry me through anything if I depend on him. And I think that's that's a big beauty of fasting is that dependence. Yes. Every time you feel those hunger pangs, which for me is like a lot, I am not reminded so much of, wow, I'm sacrificing. But rather, I am doing this because I am totally devoted to him and I desperately need him. Not just desperately need him to answer this prayer, this thing that I'm fasting about, but I desperately need him. Okay. Now, I do pray for that thing that probably quite a bit, but it is, it is not as if God, look at my great sacrifice that I'm giving for you. Now, respond to me now that I've sacrificed. Sacrifice a little bit on your part here. Kind of help me out. Now, that's not what fasting does. All right? That's not the purpose of fasting. Julia? I was just going to say, there's also some, like, physical attributes of fasting that, like, I've read different books that have mentioned how a lot preachers in history um, would fast before preaching. Um, as a worship team, a lot of us fast before leading worship. And it's really um, one of the things that I've read just physiologically um, is that when you eat, especially if you eat right before doing something, most of the blood in your body is going to your digestive system. Okay. And so when you fast, people have that they just have more mental clarity. They're a, you, they don't feel as sluggish from eating. Just like, I mean, there's all the spiritual aspects, and that's why we fast. But there's also a really interesting, like, physical side of fasting that allows. I know for me, I normally feel like I'm able to be more clear-minded with what the Lord um, wants to speak or like do through me. And maybe, I mean, it might just be that we eat food also so that we feel more sluggish when we eat um but I know for me also like it kind of just helps to clear my mind because 
I'm not thinking about food. I'm not thinking about, oh, like I need to cook this meal. You know, there's like just some basic worries of the day that you're not consumed with when you're fasting. I, I'm going to need to move on here. I, I'm needing to sit down right now because when I was working on my van, and that's why I was late today, um, which I think is probably the first time I've been late like that for a service. But uh, it really has taken a toll on my knee here. Um, I had to get this done before, um, by the end of the day. Um, so I'm going to sit down as I wrap this up. But I, I we're using this concept right now of desperation and dependency and these are not necessarily the English words that you will find in your Bible the English word that you will find in the Bible associated with fasting is humility or humbling yourself Um, but allow me to say this that the type of humility that God wants from us during this time is dependency and desperation. And so that's why we're using these terms because the Bible is, is fasting is always to be coupled with humility, humbling ourselves before the Lord, denying self and focusing on him. And so is not a proper word in our English language like desperation and dependency a proper reflection of humility. Um, fasting, it, there's, I'm, I'm going to read eight different things with regard to fasting, and, and I apologize because we're short on time. Uh, you may be able to get, get them, you may not, but uh, if you know shorthand, take shorthand. But number one, it fosters virtue, self-control. It, it, it allows us to get our focus off of me which is what sin is all about, and on the Lord. And so it fosters virtue. Um, Number two, it does make our prayers more effective because it should be accompanied by humility or desperation and dependency. And that is what God is looking for. When God, that's why we regularly see this concept of crying out in prayer. Because crying out, crying out, number one, means we're lifting up our voice. You cannot whisper and cry out, by the way. Hmm. All right. I mean, maybe spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, you could probably still have the same posture of heart. But it's verbal. Crying out is verbal. It's intense. It is loud. Um, I'm not saying you have to yell or anything. But that word cry out means to lift up one's voice intensely because you you have to be heard when Zacchaeus called out to Jesus he cried out when uh, Bartimaeus was blind and Jesus was passing by Lord you know son of David have mercy on him. he cried out so that he could be heard above the talking that was all around Jesus not that God is partially deaf in his age or anything. No, 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 I'm not saying that. That we, God is looking for us. When you lift up your voice, it goes beyond the casual and the same old, same old, doesn't it? You're serious about this. And so 
it does make our prayers more effective. Um, it turns away God's wrath. Nineveh was called to fast and repent. And so because of that, God asked, God, God turned his wrath away. He did not judge them and he was merciful. Mark 9.29, he says, this kind does not come out apart from prayer and fasting. And fasting is that element that stirs up faith. Matthew focuses on the faith, Mark on the fasting and prayer. This kind, there was a kind of demon that would not leave apart from prayer. And that's that posture of heart that is so totally dependent and humbled before God. Otherwise, that demon would not, would not come out. And Jesus explained that's why you couldn't cast him out. So it plays a part in defeating Satan. It readies us to receive guidance from the Lord. If you were to look at Acts 13, 2 and 3, the early church, they were, well, leaders, I should say, excuse me, leaders were gathered together, actually list their names. They were praying, fasting, and worshiping, and God spoke prophetically and said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It was in the midst of fasting that God spoke a very clear, directive, prophetic word. Um, so it readies our heart to receive guidance from God. It prepares us for the work that God wants to give us. We see this very clearly in Matthew 4. Jesus was going to be tested, and, and, and that is just some tremendous uh, insights and lessons from Matthew 4 and why Jesus was tested in the three areas in which he was tested concerning him being the son of God but he he, he before he engaged in that uh, time of temptation he had been fasting for 40 days and so it does prepare us not only for trial but for the work because that's Jesus was now being inaugurated into his ministry and prepared him for that work. Number seven, it expresses our adoration of God and our complete self-giving to him. We see that in Anna, the prophetess, totally given, hung out at the temple, lived there, uh, served there, constantly engaged in fasting and prayer. That was, that was her lifestyle. Um, and it, it was an expression of adoration of God and complete self-giving to him. And you see that in that little paragraph with regard to Anna when she blesses Jesus. And then number eight, it orients our lives to the coming of God's kingdom. It sets our focus. It, it, it postures our heart to, be, to, to pray for the lost, to see the lost come in. Um, the heart of God is to, for us to make disciples and as we fast, and I'm going to encourage you, uh, if God has laid ministry on your heart for the teens or you're going door-to-door -door evangelism, if you're involved in any kind of ministry, worship, etc., make fasting a part of your lifestyle with regard to that ministry. And it will orient you towards the coming of God's kingdom. And, and, and that, that's a very broad subject, right? The coming of God's kingdom. I don't mean that Jesus is going to come back. I am saying, though, that um, 
God's kingdom meaning his, the establishment of his rule and reign in the hearts of men and women. Fasting is not something that I regularly delight in. Um, it's like when I was young and I, I could actually run long distance and I'd go out and run 10, 12 miles. I did not look forward to doing that. I really didn't. I knew I needed to. But I tell you, within the first mile, I was so glad that I'd gotten out there and I was enjoying it. I wish I could say that I always enjoy fasting. Uh, I don't. It is hard. Um, you kind of learn to just not think about the fact that you haven't eaten and how your stomach is growling and how hungry you are. But uh, my apologies, by the way, if someone's fasting right now. Um, but it can be hard. But it, you can train yourself to be focused on what God is calling you to in prayer and not, be, not, not have fasting such a... Because uh, it can be a distraction if you're not careful. Thinking about food and denying food. Okay. I want to close in prayer. I, I believe that God in these days is wanting to raise his church up that is that has more of a militant outlook on life to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. And he's going to be calling you to deeper times of prayer, more extended times of prayer and fasting. And don't be surprised if you're used to fasting one day and God says, I want you to fast three days. Or maybe the longest you've ever fasted is three days and God says, guess what? I want you to fast seven days. Would you be able to set seven days aside? And we might think, man, seven days? God, I can't do that. Uh, check things medically, but why not? Why not? Stephen, I, it's probably not a good idea for you to I fast tried, seven I days. I tried fasting Sunday morning, and that didn't work out real well. Okay. Yeah, diabetes does have a way of uh, not working out real well with fasting. Let me close in prayer, okay? Father, you are good. You, you have such a heart for your people. You, you long for us to seek you and to press into you with such seriousness. Uh, Father, would you forgive me for uh, so many times in which I adopt a casual uh, posture in, in prayer? I mean, I enjoy our times in prayer, Lord, but, but sometimes, Father, I need to, to be so much more militant and engaged as if I am in, in a battle, because I am. And I just ask you, Lord, give us that, that focus. Give us that heart desire that prayer is not such a huge chore. God, make it more and more a delight, like the air we breathe and the cold water we drink. Let it be refreshing, restorative. Father, I pray that as we press into you, do awesome things awesome things because of your unfailing love in Jesus name Amen, Amen.